Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who recently learned about beer-finished beef. Um, Hunter, you're behind the mic. Have you ever heard of beer-finished beef? Beer-finished beef. No, I haven't heard of that. You haven't? So you can learn all about beer-finished beef today. Oh, so that's, fantastic. That's, yeah, we're going to talk about grass-fed, beer-fed. And in studio with us, we have rancher Frederick LaRoche, um, and we also have Kai Samajima, and she's the executive director of the Minneapolis Climate Action Center. Action. Minneapolis Climate Action. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. So tell us, about, uh, tell us about yourself, Frederick. Well, I'm uh, 36, and I'm youngest of three boys. Um, grew up on the Lorbrel Sioux Indian Reservation in central South Dakota. Um, I'm a second-generation rancher. My dad started 40 years ago, and, and now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know if, no, how, like, how, how de- depth you want me to get into it. We're, we're going to get it. We have we have a whole show, but uh, yeah. So a second generation rancher um, on on the, uh, in South Dakota. Yes, ma'am. All right. Yes, ma'am. And Kyle. Yeah, so I am Kyle Samajima, and the executive director of Minneapolis Climate Action, and I met Fred at Standing Rock three years ago now and had gone out with my daughter Sora and we had gone out after seeing some people speak at the American Indian Center and they were asking for support and and allies so my daughter and I made the trek out there and it was a transformative experience and we went out there to be supportive and instead were supported welcomed the whole time and fred and and some of his friends were you know how can we help what do you need come sit by our fire come eat with us and we we just felt like we came into a family and it was a remarkable experience all around in a situation that was had lots of and still does has lots of painful parts and lots of i think healing aspects of it and and strength i think there was an amazing beauty of what was happening out there as well and it was historical from what i could see from a white person's perspective out there it was historical for the tribes too to gather that way yeah so tell us about your experience at standing rock um it uh when it all started it kind of it was like quick uh like i was telling you earlier my friend lucas and his older brother um, were a, a, a big were a big part of the movement, and and uh, they had called me, letting me know if like you know go up there like like Kyle said for you know source support, and you know beings I I feel like I was blessed with the parents that I have, and they've been able to give me opportunities and situations. So now I feel like. It's my humane duty to help when I can. So mm-hmm. I would, uh, I, you know, I'd get up there as much as I could in the fall of 16, and I'd haul up anything from hay to uh, they started a school come that fall. So I remember getting, going to the electric uh, telephone company and getting these, like, tables. Well, they were, like, they had rolls of wire on them, mm-hmm. but they were six feet in diameter. So I thought, hey, there's some tables right there, and I hauled them up and and do everything I could, and uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a really, um, really spiritual, heavy um, movement, and uh, it definitely changed me for sure for the rest of my life. Tell us about the place. How far is your ranch from Standing Rock? And I would be, I believe it was a five-hour drive. Mm-hmm. I think I'd kind of the highways kind of skirt along the Missouri River up all the way up there. So it was about five hours. About the same drive as here. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long drive. So, I mean, not too bad. Not too bad. So I want to talk more about Standing Rock, but I want to also get a sense of the the role of the rancher and how you grew up and, and what, what this um, way of Because we want to get into grass-fed beef, sure. and we kind of teased about the beer finishing. So let's, let's learn a little bit about how you grew up. Okay. Um, like I said, I'm the youngest of three boys. 
my mom has, has uh, always been in like finance and like the BIA Realty. Uh, my dad was my dad grew up. My my grandparents on my dad's side died when he was young, so he was raised through his two uncles, and and, and that's how he got started in the the cowboy business, if you will, and and he's. He's what I say is a, a last of a dying breed. Like grew up, you know, in like old western ways, kind of. So, so he he um, got the opportunity to buy leases when he was about nineteen. Well, not buy leases, but to put in a bid for him. So he got the leases, started out ranching, was able to get some help from his uncle, and then eventually took on my my be my my great uncle, I guess, uh, passed away. And so then my dad just started ranching for himself, you know, and he would help my my uh, uncle and Ohunkawe and Lakota way. He would be my my grandfather as well because he's my my grandmother's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, um, just grew up chasing cows and and going through that ordeal. And and when I turned eighteen, I couldn't couldn't get away fast enough, you know, because I grew up, you know, it's like just just working and. I had an amazing childhood. Uh, my parents worked very hard for for us boys, and and to make sure that we had everything we needed, and taught us that the things that we want, we got to work for. And so I'm I'm really thankful for that upbringing. And then uh, moved away, uh, was fighting wildland fire for a while. Um, got out of that. I did that over several years, um, pretty intensely. Um, and then I, I got out of that and I wanted to, I actually went through a breakup and, uh, I, I ended up in California on a ski resort, was out there for a couple of years, came home after I fell in love with bow hunting and, uh, knew that there's no other place like for me anyway, at home on the res to hunt and in, in anywhere else in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... I, and also I wanted to come back and work with my dad before he was, you know, too old to be out there and do a, a, a you know, so to speak, young man's full day's work, which I was telling Kyle on the way over, that's, <laughs> that he still does, he, he can still outwork me to this day, and I'm, you know, half his age. But um, I started noticing and picking up, you know, and getting getting more mentally aware of the markets and where beef was and where it was going to go and i remember to this day i remember the exact day when i started asking our vet at the time who was certified and i'm sure she still is today um julie williams i believe was her name and um and i started asking her what's the difference between commercial and or organic and non-organic and then so she you know was telling me about the criterias criterias sorry and whatever, and then I was got to thinking. I thought, "Well, oh, shit, we're doing that." You know? <laughs> so I looked at my dad, and I'm like, "Why ain't we doing organic beef?" <laughs> I'm already doing organic beef. How do we label it as organic yeah, beef, right? Yeah, How do we get a little extra money because it should be organic beef? Because yeah, that's what we're yeah. doing. Sadly, that was the money was the the factor that kind of sparked my interest then. But now it, it's more to spread the word that. Not all red meat is bad. I mean, that's red meat in general is getting bashed. You know, any chance anybody can get, and and it's like, you know, hey, you know, it's not all bad. It's commercial beef. You know, you you buy a patty from not knocking McDonald's because I eat McDonald's too, but buying a beef patty from McDonald's, you don't know what you're getting. You know, so. Well, and here is, I mean, let's get into this really complicated conversation because there's a lot of confusing information out there right now about beef. Clearly, beef is a major driver of climate change right now. Kyle. um, Yes, it it is, as well as conventional agriculture of commodity crops, things like soybeans and corn, you know, also have a major impact as well as other conventionally grown vegetables. There was just a report that came out on kale. And if it's not organically grown, it's really pesticide intensive. And so there isn't a, a simple answer to any of this. A lot of it is knowing the source of our food understanding how our food system, where it works well and where it's broken, which is 
in many areas. I mean, I just found out recently that if you raise vegetables, you can't get crop insurance. <laughs> that, to me, is crazy. It is crazy, isn't it? You can I mean, if you raise soybeans and corn as commodity crops, but not for vegetables. Yeah, it is. That is that is absolutely. Uh, it, it, there's so much of this food system that's crazy, but I want to connect the deeper lessons of Standing Rock with the deeper lessons of how we, um, how we you know look at the pain of the food system, be present to the pain of the food system, but also find this. I don't know. Find this honoring of the ancestors is the best way I can think of to really. Um, create something that we want for future generations. And that's what you're doing. And and so we want to get into all the challenges that you have trying to uh, do the grass-fed. But So um, for people who are not aware, how does cattle ranching work in South Dakota right now? How, how, does, it, how, does, you, how, how has it worked for you and your dad? Well, um, the cattle business is there's different levels, if you will. We're, we're a cow-calf operation. So we're we're breeding. We have breeding stock. We breed them. They have they calve out, and we typically um, try to account for about a, no more than a ten percent death loss. And so for us, we take our calves when they're about five six hundred pounds, and we take them to market. And and even though like I sell drug free cattle in the market, they can still end up. In, in, in a feedlot somewhere. Right. So we're, we're learning all about uh, cattle, grass-fed cattle, and um, how do we build something we want for future generations, honoring water, soil, and all life. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. It's plain to see the Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. Let me tell you about the best parts of buying a vehicle with Rudy Luther. First, their staff is wonderful, friendly, and always ready to help. Another is the Luther Advantage card. With every new and used vehicle purchase, you'll get three years of 10 cents off per gallon of gas at Holiday Station stores, as well as discounted car washes. The Luther Advantage card keeps you happy in your Rudy Luther vehicle. Find out more at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Save an extra 7.5% during Warner Stellion's free tax rebate event. Choose from the best brands at our guaranteed unbeatable price. Then save 7.5% more with our exclusive tax rebates. You'll save hundreds on laundry pairs, dishwashers, refrigerators, and kitchen suites. And trusted fast free delivery and haul away are still free. Plus, qualified buyers can choose 18 months interest-free financing. Guaranteed unbeatable appliance savings through March 25th with exclusive tax rebates from Warner Stellion. Habitation Furnishing and Design is simply the best furniture design studio in the Twin Cities. What is a furniture design studio? It's a place where you'll find professional interior designers who are there to help you select the perfect furniture, a single sofa, or an entire home. Our designers love making spaces exceptional. When you're shopping for furniture, it makes sense to talk to a professional. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Oh no, you shattered your cell phone. Now what? Listen closely. We know you're lost without your phone. Bring it to Computer Revolution today. We'll fix it and have you back online before someone asks, where are you? Computer Revolution with Cell Phone Repair has over 18 years experience fixing computer devices. All brands, all carriers. Computer Revolution with Cell Phone Repair, located in Roseville at Highway 36 and Fairview Avenue, or call 651-633-6600. We fix phones, same day, seven days a week. 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking all about grass-fed beef and uh, cattle ranching. Um, in studio with us is uh, the uh, executive director of Minneapolis Climate Action, Kyle Samajima, and rancher Frederick LaRoche. And when we, before we were on break, you were talking about how does standard cattle operations, you're your second-generation rancher. Your dad, you described your dad as like one of the old cowboys. So yeah. how does it work? <clears throat> um, we, uh, like I said, we're a cow-calf operation. Uh, we raise the cattle up to our calves till they're about 500 pounds, take them to market. Um, and that's something I realized, you know, several years back that I wanted to get away from that. And because where we, where I felt and to no fault to nobody's, that's just what people did, you know, and, and up, up till today, you know, commercial ranching is real and, and, me and Kyle were talking on the way over here. It's hard for us little guys, you know, like it might seem like a lot, you know, me having 150 head of cattle, but in the ranching world, it's not a lot. So it, you have 150 uh, cattle. What are most cattle operations like? Um, well, there's, you know, operations over here in the Midwest up to 2,500 head a herd, you know, for, for one ranch. And so... It's um, it's this journey that I've been trying to make myself stand out, not only for for economical reasons, or I, I should say, um, financial reasons. But I wanna, I don't want to be into that in that realm of just my cattle getting lost in the sauce, if you will. And so I really thought, you know, hey, how can I really get you know my cattle from farm to table and so i reached out to kyle and 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 um helped me uh, share my story yeah i mean i think at minneapolis climate action you know we understand the connection between agriculture climate change healthy soil i mean Agriculture accounts for, and this is including, you know, cropland and, and pasture land, and I'm going to specify mainly the conventional industrial scale operations, whether cropland or pasture land, um, that have emit more greenhouse gases than cars, trucks, and planes combined. Mm-hmm. And so it is a huge factor. Um, healthy soil is a, you know, can sequester carbon, and so it, it's an absolute issue around not only our, our health but the health of the planet for sure the industrial monoculture system and um so uh, especially when it comes to beef worldwide the system has been cutting down rainforest to uh have beef operations in other countries in, in areas that were previously war- rainforest which has a huge huge carbon footprint and water footprint but none of those externalities are ever accounted for in the system so you know so the industrial beef like you say you're buying it at you know whatever fast food restaurants or or in the large grocery chains you don't really know where that meat comes from mm-hmm. and so you and your family and your second generation, you're trying to forge something new and yeah. different. Yep. And here's where we can talk about beer-finished grass-fed <laughs> <laughs> food. <laughs> and this journey for me, personally, hasn't been easy because my dad's ranching for the last 40 years, and he knows what works, and he knows what he's done. And so it, it's, it's taken me a while to really get him on board for, of changing the system. You know, because that kind of spooks him. He's he's in his ways and and everything, but he's uh, definitely catching on. So, um, so how are you changing the system? Um, our system um, is I've implemented. Um, we're working with um, NRCS program. It is it's a natural resource conservation service. It's an agency within the United States Department of Agriculture, and I work with um, a great guy named Daryl, and he's helped me um, set up some water lines to help pull cattle up off, like, the creeks and the natural waterways, and for one, you know, to, to lessen the impact of erosion, and two, just to keep the, um, their byproducts out of the you know, water system. Uh, and um, so then we've been doing also is uh, cattle rotation, 
where 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 they call it extreme cattle rotation, where you have smaller pastures and you move more often because the grass the grass will there's different you know the with the plant diversity cows and calves will will graze on certain grasses certain times of the year so if you're if you're rotating more often they're not they're having less pack less impact on the grass and then when they come back around let's say two months later they'll start eating a different vegetation um so those are just you know two small things that i've been trying to do to um help Less my carbon footprint, if Less you will. Your and, and, and those are the things, the proper soil management that um, the natural, a lot of agencies have saying that we really got to improve those general practices. Yep. So, um, so then tell us now, but then do you, are you able to, uh, the other thing that's been hard is to try to find the markets for the grass-fed mm-hmm. beef, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the big challenges you have right now. Yes, ma'am. And, and, and in order just to pay my bills, you know, I, I go to a commercial market, if you will. Um, but um, so far, it's just been, you know, word of mouth, family and friends, you know. And, and I figure, I figure, you know, definitely with, with what Kyle's doing, I think that's the best thing is just helping people be aware, you know. So, so right. You know, and the, and the food system, you know, should be set up more specifically to help operations like Fred's that are trying to do the right thing and then costs end up being a, a barrier to either getting certified organic or, pu- or putting things in place that would truly, you know, help sequester more carbon, create healthy soil, allow him to, you know, graze his cattle the way that he needs to. And it's the same with, you know, if you're raising vegetables and can't get crop insurance. I mean, there's a reason, I'm sure you've talked about many times, Laura, that cheap food is cheap. And they, you know, this, the subsidies that come for larger operations and, and you know, it, it's, it's not fair. And that's the system part that should change and that we can work for. And then we have to, and that, is that one of the lessons of Standing Rock is that even though it doesn't feel like it all the time, we really do have power, that we do have power to change the system. For sure, for sure. And I think to continue to spread awareness, you know, I think in the years to come, we can make it make a change you know whether that be um you know um making people aware that hey you know there is a guy 30 miles from you that raises beef go ask him say hey can i buy one of your beef you know what i mean so um one of my goals is is to just make people aware that they should know where their food comes from whether it be vegetables or or red meat you know to, to me as a you know white person coming from a white lens, you know, in looking at these things, um, but of course trying to expand my lens, um, the intersection of colonization and dominance over land and capitalism, it's very clear why we're at the place we're at with climate change, with Standing Rock, they all go together. And if we can get, and I believe we do have the power. I'm a stubborn optimist. I do believe we have the power. Stubborn optimist yes. unite! Stubborn optimist unite! You're yes. listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Long line of stubborn optimists. My name's Mikaela. I joined the Army at 17. When I got back from Iraq a few years ago, I became pregnant and ended up homeless. No veteran should ever face homelessness. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is working hard to end veteran homelessness by the end of 2015. VA offers programs to help eligible veterans stay healthy, find a job, and secure or maintain safe, stable housing. With a simple call to 877-424-3838, specialists can connect veterans to the services and support they have earned, regardless of their branch or era of service. My life works now. I got help from VA. And now I'm on a mission to share these resources. VA is here to help. If you or a veteran you know is homeless or at immediate risk of becoming homeless, call 877-424-3838 or chat online at va.gov homeless. 
Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hello, fellow AM 950 listeners. This is Jaja from Nightingale at 26 in Lindale. Come experience our delicious signature dishes and exciting rotation of inventive seasonal fare for my wife and chef, Carrie, and her team. Nightingale is the perfect place to gather for any occasion with our extensive wine, beer, and cocktail selection, along with our dedication to great service. We offer a full menu every day from 4 to 1 a.m., two award-winning daily happy hours, and weekend brunch at 10. More at nightingalempls.com. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Hawes. Saturday, sunny with a high near 58. Sunday, chance of rain with a high near 50. And Monday, sunny with a high near 42. This week's EatLocalMinnesota.com Restaurant of the Week is Victor's 1959 Cafe. They're open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, offering traditional Cuban recipes in a relaxed, casual, and festive Cuban environment. Located at 3756 Grand Avenue in South Minneapolis. Details at EatLocalMinnesota.com. to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we are talking today about a beef. What's Where's the beef? And we're going to figure out where the beef is. Um, in studio with us is rancher Frederick LaRoche, LaRoche and uh, Executive Director of Minneapolis Climate Action, Kyle Samagina. And when we were on break, or we, we had this I, we ended it with a really bright note that we're part of stubborn optimists. So what do we mean by that stubborn optimist? Well, I feel like for me personally, that you know, um, I don't have a market for my beef, but I'm stubbornly optimistic <laughs> that this is where the future of beef is going to be. It, I've been telling people this for about a year now. I had this epiphany. I was living in Denver a few years back for some side work and then working for my cousin in the construction business. Well, I got to thinking, you know, this people you know, that are turning to veganism, whatever, it's the movement, the green movement, if you will, is a good thing. You know, people are starting to be more aware of what they're eating. I think that we can still be even more aware from there. But I realized that in 20 years from now, I truly believe there's going to be two levels of beef. You're going to get fast food grade meat or you're going to get high end meat. There's not going to be no in between. And so... I think that would be my stubborn optimism is is I'm going to change the beef industry by one little Indian boy from the res from South Dakota. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my um, uh, optimism. And why shouldn't it start with you, Fred? Yeah. I think that's absolutely a thing. And I know some people might think it's strange that a director of an organization focused on climate change is talking about beef, period, because of all the news about the impact of industrially raised beef, but I think the reason is that food systems that focus on closed-loop systems of farms that have crops and animals, which is the way most farming used to be, if we 
push the system, and I believe as the stubborn optimist that our choices as citizens, I don't call myself a consumer, I'm a citizen, my choice as a citizen of where I choose to spend my money, the choices have impact. When I choose to go to my farmer's market and look my farmer in the eye, and maybe I'm paying $2 more a pound for that beef, and I make a conscious choice to fit that into my budget, which is not a large budget. I, I, I agree that there are very real you know, confines on, on people's budgets and the money they have to spend on food, and yet we're paying for that cheap food, just not at the cash register. And um, I've got a lot of information about the environmental stuff. I mean, lentils are still better for the um, environment. So if people can eat more, some more lentils, and then if you're going to eat beef, make sure the beef, you know the beef and, or whatever animals that, that, that you that, – that we also um, try to be uh, considerate of the um, soil impacts and the impacts on water. Feedlot, large feedlot operations are terrible for water. They just are, whereas small grass-fed mm-hmm. ones, and in the other section you were talking about how you were working to make sure that the creek was protected yeah. from the offsets. So um, but I want to, before I forget, okay, so what, I don't, want, I don't want to leave it and not mention this. What is beer-finished grass-fed beef? So I read a while back, and some of the, like the Wagyu Kobe beef out of Japan, they put their, <clears throat> excuse me, their malt beer in with their grain and to me that was like okay that's probably you know you know you drink a lot of beer you get a beer belly so to speak you know, air quotes <laughs> and so i thought well shoot if they're doing it in japan why can't we do it in south dakota and so i went and bought the cheapest beer i could find that was like a not a light beer and uh which happened to be hams and uh, it was on sale and I'd come, <laughs> I'd be coming out of the grocery store with like six cases of hams, you know, 30 pounds. She's like, what are you doing with all that beer? I'm like, feeding it to my cows. And they turning their head, you know. So, um, but uh, what I what I read was they were giving them about a 40, 40 ounces of beer. So I kind of did the math and I think it was a little over. So I was feeding out two cows at the time and finishing them. <clears throat> And, uh, yeah, I just mixed the beer in, and at first, they kind of turned their nose up to it, but I put it in this, like, different feeder that they weren't used to, and so I'm, like, all bummed, you know, they're not going to eat it, and then I go throw it in the regular feeder, and they just clean it up, so. Do they seem like they really like the beer finished? I, they would lick the bottom of the, (laughs) (laughs) bottom of the feeder until it was clean, so. Yeah, I'd say they did like it, and and uh, did you get my picture I sent you of the yeah, marbling of yeah. that steak? Yeah, and I figure you know that that definitely added to the marbling. Right, because I've, some people don't like grass fed because it's considered dry. So yep. when you do the beer at the end, yep. I figure the way I want to do it is give the citizen the option of how they want it. I prefer my my personal beef, you know, raised up, grass fed, no antibiotics, no hormones. I like to finish them on corn and now, of course, the beer, just because that puts a little fat on the end and it puts a lot of flavor in the beef, you know what I mean? So um, just because I do it doesn't mean, obviously, people can get it grass-fed, and that's definitely because it's a lot leaner. Um, But to me, it doesn't have, you know, as much natural flavor, so... So Definitely. you have a 150 um, cattle operation in South Dakota, but most of yours now still, um, you're, you, 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 most of the cattle you have, you, you still rely on the industrial system to sell it. Yes, ma'am. Explain how that works. Well, when I, I was fortunate to have my dad still in business, you know, after 20, 30 years at the time. Um, and so when I started, I had a lot of overhead. I purposely wanted that. Because I didn't have to spend money on hay ground or fuel or anything. So I was able to buy as many cows as I could. And I also bought some, some updated our equipment. And so I had a big overhead. And by just selling a handful of beef every year to family and friends, you know, that, that won't pay my bills. So I'm, I, I don't want to say forced, but, you know, the cattle business is, is just that. You know, you got to, there's... People want their beef, and it, you know, it has to be. There's somewhat. I mean, there's 
to me, there there at this point there has to be a um, a market or a com- commercial market or industrial market, if you will, to to meet those demands of all the beef. So, so what that so what that means is that of the 150 cattle you have, um, a, a big bulk of them um, you send to someone else for, else for what's called finishing. What yep. does that? So they they have to go from your farm to a feedlot. Yep. So we'll take them from you know every year roughly about around uh, November December we'll take our calves, and let's say that year we have 120. Well, I, I, I t- on a typical year I like to keep 20 back. And raise my own replacements, so then, I, then, then there I know where them cows are coming from. And years down the road, when I'm breeding cattle, I know that where that cow came from. Now, now I'm getting calves out of her. You know what I mean? So to me, it kind of keeps that that pureness, if you will, yeah. of grass fed. And uh, and again, um, I'm not certified organic. I um, haven't had the market to. To do that, and we've been talking. There's a lot of people who who opt out of it just because of certain things. You know, you get it, get get into uh, legalities when you, you get to, when you do that. So, and that's why this is an important conversation to have. We can come in. Is right. that so? Your dream is to be 100 percent grass fed, right? Yes, ma'am. My dream is to not take any cattle to to a, to a livestock or sale barn, and to be able to. Um, essentially uh, butcher myself and so people can come visit me call you know call I take pictures you know in a sense but I want people to know their beef before they even buy it from me you know what I mean if if I should be fortunate enough because um, again that's my my um, stubborn optimism is, is uh, to say hey you know not all red meat is bad right we have put this in, in, this, in, a, in the context of um, the Indian reservations and the horrid history we have in this country. And I, I got these statistics from um, a report called ProsperityNow.org. But South Dakota is home to nine Indian reservations, uh, and uh, natives compose about 10% of the state's population. But the um, medium income for uh, white non-Hispanic households was $48,144, whereas for Alaska, whereas for Native Americans, it's 22,170. So there's a lot of barriers to entrepreneurship in indigenous country. Yes, ma'am. There's, um, like you were talking earlier, um, there's there's lack of resources um, and there's not a lot of opportunity. So like my brother, um, as well as Kyle, are um, uh, Minnesota alumni and gophers and for even for him when he left he graduated high school two weeks after that he left and he ne- he's never lived that back at home um, but even growing up with with what you know why I, I call blessed with my parents and having both parents in our lives till to this day he still had that oh I want to go home where it's comfortable and and you see a lot of that on the res and Sadly, there's not a lot of youth that have the support system that I was so lucky and blessed with. And I think that's what, you know, keeps a lot of kids from going out and then coming back because no one's telling them, hey, it's okay. It's going to be hard. It's going to be, you know, a rocky road. And and if you push through it, there's, you know, beautiful things at the end. The beautiful things. And again, I'm thinking about Standing Rock because that was a beautiful thing and it was a reassuring thing. Or, Or what was Standing Rock to you? To me, Standing Rock was, um, I don't know, I'm going to get my numbers wrong. Was it 150 years? 100 or 50 years? I can't remember. It was a long yeah. time. I think it was 150 years since the Ochete Shakoi has come together like that. So I believe there was, was there seven bands in the. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like a no, nurse. That's fine. Should, should no worries. No worries. But it was, I, to me, that's, that's what Standing Rock was to me, this. this it was the camel of uh, the straw that broke the camel's back in a sense. I think that brought all of Indian country globally, you know, all indigenous people to be like, hey, you know, we got to start standing up for ourselves. We got to start, you know, even if we may not win this battle, you know, maybe we can win the war. And, and so I think a lot of it, 
you know, again, it brought us, brought uh, Indian country together, and I feel people are still empowered by that, even three years later. Right. And I think a lot of, you know, what colonization ended up doing was intentionally and unintentionally, but probably intentionally, you know, in the majority, dividing Indian communities and dividing communities and we see the results of that, you know, mm-hmm. today. And it really was, I mean, I feel so honored to have experienced watching, in my time at Standing Rock, this historic moment, you know, for, you know, the Indian tribes that were there. It was truly, truly beautiful to watch on so many levels. For sure. Yeah, and on so many levels, the global, having the global connection to the food, clean water, living soil respectful relationships with all life that is our birthright and that springs from that our stubborn optimism yes ma'am so you're listening to food freedom radio the progressive voice minnesota tap taste and treasure at vinaigrette where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted brussels sprouts or baked brie And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuchke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake. This is Chad, owner of AM950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. Don't let me down. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund. In studio is a second-generation uh, rancher, Frederick LaRouche, LaRouche and, uh, from, he's a Lakota, and Kyle Samajima. Uh, she's the executive director of Minneapolis Climate Action. And again, the two of you met at, at Standing Rock, and I, I just keep going back to that. And so you want to talk about how the food was done at Standing Rock? So one of the 
first things after Fred and some of his friends helped my daughter and me settle in, you know, pulled up right away. What do you need? How can we help? Um, Got our tent set up in the prairie wind and then figured out how can we help and went up to the kitchen. And there was an amazing woman, Tink, who put out meals with volunteer help three times a day for hundreds of people. And a couple of my favorite moments were walking out behind the makeshift kitchen and there was a quarter of a steer on a plastic table and that was being, you know, butchered out in the back and it went in the stew for the night and it was just this magical meal. And of course that wasn't according to any health and safety regulations, right? (laughs) And yet it was this incredible meal that all donated food and just all people just managed to come together and and feed this community that was growing daily with what was was in front of us. It was amazing to watch. Given the runaway inequities, the epidemic of anxiety and depression, the climate chaos, do we need this sense of unity now? Oh, for sure. I think more than ever. You know, I mean... I, I'm I'm no scientist, and I'm definitely never not the smartest guy in the room. But I remember hearing studies where we're projected on the path we're going on now. If we st- continue on this path, we're gonna run out of like food by by 2050. You know, and, and um, didn't we just p- surpass something with carbon to where we're like it's almost no reversing it now. Or something like that. So I figure. Well, we're years I, behind. Yeah, I in figure, addressing the problem. I figure now is the time to to, to unify and, and and come together and start having these these discussions about our food and the impact we're having on the environment because it's sad. You know what I mean? Like I've always dreamed as a little boy to someday go to Australia and see the Great Barrier Reef, and when I heard it on the news that it's you know. There's so much of it that's already died. It's it's really heartbreaking to be like, wow, we've done this in the last hundred years, you know. Yeah, these these stories are heartbreaking, and yet, you know, my goal, and I know the goal of a lot of in, environmental organizations and social and racial justice organizations, are that we can come out the other side of this with a better society mm-hmm. where people are connected to their food and have access to healthy food and are connected to their energy sources and can tap into a community solar garden and understand what community really means because i you know i don't think we severed or broke the relationship with nature but we sure have to take a deeper look at it and i often go back to the book braiding sweetgrass by robin Mm. kimmerer which is an amazing foundational book for me in in relating to the earth and that earth can be asking us for relationship as well it is reciprocal it Mm. is reciprocal and just one of the little tidbits because i love that book as well is uh it's almost like we live in colonial world or noun world our language is predominantly noun and like we're nouning each other like you're the loser you're the winner it's like Mm. that's silly we're all i mean we would we do would we treat our dogs how bad as we treat each other but but one of the things that robin mentions in that book is um that saturday in her language was a verb it right. wasn't a noun. So, I mean, it's just, it's a this really how to come alive. Right. And the word for bay, you know, is 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 a verb. You can bay. Not bay like a dog, but the water body, you know. And she actually came up with a new pronoun for our non-human relatives, key. Key. And key. I just heard her speak a few weeks ago. And I really think that can help bring us back into yeah. those relationships instead of calling... You know, another living thing, it. It. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, in fact, I, I knew this seven-year-old was like, nouns, person, place, or thing. This means that my dog's a thing and I'm a person. Uh-uh. <laughs> 
like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so we only have three minutes left on the show. And I did, I mean, I, I just, we. I, it's probably important. Most of you probably know this, but grass-fed um, clearly has stronger health benefits than conventional meat. Uh, the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid has higher level of vitamin E, um, a better B vitamins. So it's much healthier. It also has a much lower risk of disease, less salmonella. So we know grass-fed beef is good. I've heard that there's just not enough land for grass-fed beef. Um, so, again, a lot of it has to do with if you're going to eat meat, limit the meat, make sure you're eating quality, and, and bring in more plant-based food. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one of the big things that, um, Frederick LaRouche, you want to also ch- work on adjusting the markets so that the markets, we want to humanize these markets. Well, I think, like I said, in the future, we're, we're going to have two... To, to me, in my opinion, there's going to be two levels of beef. There's going to have you're going to get fast food grade, or you're going to get high end quality. And one thing I wanted, like I said before, is just be, make people aware of where their food comes from. You know, and not just beef, but you know everything we eat. You know, where does it come from? And you know, it, the more natural it is, the better for our bodies. Because with with the epidemic of anxiety, depression, I believe. I'm sure all these chemicals over the short last 80 years has an impact. Yeah. I was talking to someone that was um, really interested in the book Silent Spring, which Mm -hmm. uh, started and he read it, um, which was written in 1962. And he said at that time, cancer rates were three in 100. Now they're like one in three. So the incredible increase in cancer and all these types of things, a lot of it could be not living in connection with nature but having a chemical approach to life right and i know that there's a lot of talk about you know feeding nine billion people and that we've got to have you know big feedlots and conventional agriculture in order to do that and there's just too much research that refutes that that we can feed the world on smaller scale farms yes we should eat less meat in america especially um you know and we look at developing countries but that there, we have this incredibly invasive project of, 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 of grass. Grass is invasive, and it takes a lot of water, and it uses a lot lawns, of chemicals. Lawns, you mean, lawns. right? I yeah. mean, lawns. If we just got rid of lawns, we could all eat. <laughs> and we'd probably save the rusty bee at the same time. So, well, I'd rather uh, garden than mow a lawn. So. <laughs> I like that. Rather <laughs> Down to the last minute, how can people get more information? Um, I'm on Instagram under um, bowhuntasucka and also LaRush Ranch. Um, and I'm starting to uh, make that more uh, inf- and, uh, more information on there. Um, otherwise, you can contact Kyle, and she can line you up with me and give you my information. Okay, and Kyle? You can uh, contact me at Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at M-P-L-S, C-L-I-M-A-T-E dot org, Kyle at M-P-L-S-Climate dot org. Um, and I'd be glad to answer questions, connect you to Fred. All right, great. Well, I thank you both so much for being in here. Thank and, you uh, so much. Thank you for your work and stubborn optimist. I, I, I love that. <laughs> I, I'm going to go out with that. Stubborn optimist. Stubborn optimist. It's okay. As long as we keep that stubbornness alive, right? <laughs> We've been listening to Food Freedom Radio and AM 950, The Progressive Voice.